this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. I'm preaching today on this subject, Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. If you're going to understand Hebrews chapter 3, a couple of things will help your understanding of this chapter. The first is an understanding of what the Hebrew people, the Jews, thought about a man named Moses. You remember Moses growing up in Sunday school, reading about Moses, leading the children of Israel out and coming to the waters of the Red Sea and stretching forth his rod and the uh, waters parting, and how God used Moses in a great, great way. Well, the name Moses, just the mention of that name, brought a, a, a sense of respect and, and honor in the mind of the Jewish people. In your Bible, the only name mentioned more than Moses are the names of our Lord and the name of David. In the Scripture, the third most highly recognized person name is this man Moses. And the Jews had a great deal of respect for Moses. You know, in your, in your Old Testament, when God spoke to men, God would always speak to men through those prophets. But you know, when God spoke to Moses, God went straight to Moses. He talked directly to Moses. You know, those Jews thought that he must have been something special in the eyes of God. I mean, you remember the stories, and of course they recounted the stories of how God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. They remembered how when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and got the law from God. He came back off that mountain and his face was glowing because, he, because he'd been in the presence of the glory of God. So Moses was highly favored in the hearts of the Jewish people. But now that many of these Hebrews, these Jews, have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's confusing a little bit now. What do we do with Moses? This one that we've held in regard, in high esteem for so many years, where is his place in all of this? And in Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews says, just consider Jesus. Meditate or think on Jesus. When you get the right thought about Jesus, then where you ought to put Moses, where you ought to put the angels, where you ought to put the apostles, when you put Jesus in his right place, everything else will fall into its place. Hebrews chapter 3 is going to compare and contrast Jesus and Moses. Hebrews 3 was not written in, uh, in, in any means to degrade Moses or to unappreciate Moses. The writer of Hebrews knows that he's writing to a group of Jews. He knows better than to go in there and uh, degrade Moses. That's not it at all. Uh, the point of these verses today is to show us that Moses is great, but there's one better. There's one who is greater. His name is Jesus, and it just doesn't get any better than Jesus. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews. He is the one our minds need to consider today. 
Now, if you're lost and you're listening here this morning or you're listening by way of radio or Internet, I'd say to any lost person, man, woman, boy, or girl, you need to consider Jesus. Consider that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to avert God's judgment and wrath in and on your life is to come to faith in Christ. Consider Christ today. But in this first verse, I want to call your attention to the fact that when the writer of Hebrews talks in this passage about considering Jesus, he's not telling that to a lost person. In fact, he says in verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. He's talking here not to lost people and telling them to consider Jesus, even though we know a lost person ought to consider Jesus. And several times through the Scripture and many times in the book of Hebrews, the writer tells the lost man that he needs to consider Christ. But in this passage specifically, he says, saved person, believers, you need to consider Jesus. Consider some things you may not have considered about your Savior. And so for a few minutes this morning, we're going to look through these six verses and we're going to see exactly what it is that the Christian ought to consider about Jesus. Number one, as we consider our Lord, we ought to first of all consider His titles. Consider His titles. Verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. Uh, there or wherefore. Wherefore, therefore, they're, in, they're almost exchangeable words. In the New Testament, when you see a word wherefore or therefore, you see what it's there for. It, it always links back to the immediate context of the passage of Scripture. Uh, the word wherefore at the, at the beginning of chapter 3 pulls together everything. It pulls all the, uh, the boxcars behind the engine. It pulls them all to the same place, chapters 1 and chapters 2. Let me quickly rehearse that for you, remind you of those things. In those first two chapters, we've learned thus far that Jesus Christ is God's last word to man. He is the heir of all things. He is the maker of the universe. He's the express image of God Himself. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the one that holds this universe together by the word of His power. The Bible says He has purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is better than the angels. He is crowned with glory and honor. He took on flesh and He died so that He could defeat Satan, destroy the power of death, and remove us out from under the bondage of the fear of death. He has reconciled us to God. He rescues us from our temptations. All of that, that's a summary of chapters 1 and 2. He is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than anything. That's the summary. He is the superior Christ. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, because of all of that, wherefore, because of all that stuff, in chapter 1 and 2, he says, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, he said, Christian, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. These Hebrews had already entered into a relationship with the Lord. But they were some of them that were still kind of glancing back at Judaism. They had one eye on Jesus and one eye on Judaism. For a long time, Judaism was all that they had. But now they've entered into a new covenant. 
They're having to understand that. Now they're not under that old covenant anymore. Something better has come along. The new covenant. Christ is here. They have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but there's so much about Him they still do not understand. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Christian, you need to consider Jesus. When he uses the word consider, what he's saying is, you need to meditate on Him. You need to fix your eyes on Him. You need to concentrate on Him. Don't look back now to the old way. Back there in the old way is that old religious system. Don't look back to those old religious things. You've got one now to meditate on, to consider, and there's much you don't know about Him yet. His name is Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that really, in a nutshell, is the Christian life. That's the essence of the Christian life, to gaze on Jesus and to learn Jesus deeper and in a more intimate level. It's learning that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And so that's what happens when we consider Christ. Now, what is it about his titles that the writer says we need to consider? Well, first of all, in verse 1 he says, Consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That first title that a Christian needs to consider is that title, Apostle. Jesus is called the Apostle of God. In fact, this verse right here is the only place in the New Testament where it refers to Jesus as an apostle. You don't normally think of Jesus as an apostle. When you think of an apostle, you think of the apostle Paul or Peter or James or John, those guys that were sent out from Jesus. Well, the word apostle only means sit out. Sit out. And Jesus qualifies to be an apostle because like the apostles were sent out from Christ, Jesus was sent out by his Father. So that makes him an apostle. He was sent out from the Father for a very specific person. Before Jesus came, if the Jews wanted to know about God, they'd go to the law of Moses. They'd go to the writings of Moses. But now that Jesus has been sent out as an apostle from God, Jesus Christ is God's last word to man. To the Jews and to you and me, I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, if you reject Jesus, God has nothing else to say to you. There's nothing else that He's going to speak to you. He has given His final revelation, His final word in His Son. Jesus Christ, the Apostle of God, has come here, sent from the Father, and He speaks for the Father. Can you imagine if somebody knocked on your door this afternoon and said, I'm here with a message for you from the President of the United States. You say, are you some telemarketer? He says, no, I came down here from Washington. Uh, President Trump has sent me here to give you a message. Now, whether you like Trump or not, the fact that the president sent somebody to your house to give you a message kind of merits at least your attention to hear out what he's got to say. Wouldn't you you agree? Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you today that, that Jesus Christ alone, being sent out from the Father of heaven, That alone merits your consideration of what he has to say. When Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. God is speaking. His apostolic title shows us that. But notice next the writer in verse 1 calls Jesus not only the apostle, but he is our high priest. Did you see that? When you think on Jesus, think of him not only as the one sent from God to come down here and to reconcile you to God, but he is your High priest. That means that he is your intercessor. That means he is your representative before the Father. He is your mediator. 
He's the one that has reconciled you to God. Apart from Him, there is no way for you to get to God. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the times this morning that we've prayed, we pray in Jesus' name for the simple reason, apart from our high priest, the Lord Jesus, we have no prayer life. None at all. As your high priest, he's the one that enables us to come to the Father, to ask the Father if we have a need. So uh, the writer of Hebrews says, when you consider Jesus, think about who he is. Think about his titles. He's the apostle sent from God. He's the high priest, your representative between you and God. You say, well, preacher, I'm already saved. That's right. He knows that. He's already called you a holy brethren. He's calling the believer here the holy brethren. In this case, it was the Jew. He knows you're saved. He knows the listener is saved. You say, well, I've already considered Jesus. What else is there to consider? <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, you've considered Him as your Savior, but there's a whole lot you can still learn about Jesus. Uh, the Jews have been saved, but they weren't considering all that He is. They were still holding on to that needless, worthless, useless, religious ritual that they had gone through for so many years that now they no longer need. Now those things had their place in the past. But now there is a new covenant. A new covenant. Do you find it ironic that after Christ died now over in Israel, the, the sacrificial system has stopped? Uh, he came. He is the better sacrifice. We'll get into that here in a few weeks. They have learned all those religious rituals from Moses. But now Christ has come. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's saying, you have searched for fulfillment for all these years in religion. But now Jesus is here. You don't have to go to religion anymore to be fulfilled. When you've got everything you'll ever need to be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that there are people today that are still searching? They search for religious, or they search for satisfaction. They search for fulfillment in religious ritual. And a lot of people today, there's probably some people in this building. That unbeknownst to you, you've done it so long that your satisfaction comes from a religious ritual and not from your relationship with Christ. When I'm talking about religious rituals, I'm talking about things that we do in and around the church that we think we cannot do without. They're rituals. And listen, some churches will plumb get divided over religious rituals. Rituals. I was talking to Don Graham this last week, and he was telling me about one of the first churches he pastored. Uh, they, they were a uh, deeply rooted in their tradition Southern Baptist church back in, uh, I don't know, 1950s, 60s, somewhere back in there. One of the first churches he pastored, and they decided to get a new piano and organ for the church. And so upon having that thing delivered that week, the piano and the organ... There was a group in the church that thought that the piano just had to be on this side of the church. Well, the piano player liked it better on this side because she sat over there. Well, some of the people that didn't play the piano, uh, they thought you can't have church unless the piano is over here. The piano must be on the left and the organ must be on the right. 
Dr. Bond said, he said, I, I, I didn't care where they put it. I knew they just need to put it somewhere, you know? And so they ended up putting it wherever they put it. And at the end of the week, half the church was mad and half the church left. Left. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't come to church and be satisfied because the blessed piano is over there versus being over there, you hadn't considered Jesus enough. I see people today, and it's not, it's not even that silly. I see people today hop from one church. I call them frog Christians. They turn their hopper on every Sunday. And they hop from one place to the next to the next, to the next. And what will happen, they will go from one church because they'll find out another church in town's got a bigger youth program. So they'll go over there to that church for the youth program. Or they'll go to another church because they got a better music program. Or they'll go to another church because they got something for the old people to do. Or they'll go to another church because they got something for the singles to do. Or they'll go to another church because that church has more fellowship activities and they don't think their church is having enough. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. If you're coming to this church for the style of music or for the number of blessed cornbread and bean suppers we have around here, you need to consider Jesus and start coming to the house of God for the right reason. Woo! Preach, preacher. You've gotten caught up in religious ritual. I personally believe the book of Hebrews was written before the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. You know what that means? The writer of Hebrews is getting them ready for the day when the Roman army, led by General Titus, is going to come in there, destroy their temple, take every religious relic they've got out of the city. It's going to either be destroyed or burned. And then all they're going to have is Jesus. And what he's saying to them is if Jesus is all you got left, is that going to be enough? If you'll meditate on him, consider that he's the apostle sent from God. He's your high priest. Meditate on that for a while. That'll satisfy you. There's more to discover about Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. I've learned the day I got saved, He was a get-out-of-hell-free card for me, and I'm glad of that. But I've learned so much more. He is beyond just getting me out of hell. It'll thrill your soul. Your satisfaction will be found in Him if you consider Him. Some people just lost the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. I mean, I meet a lot of Christians, they're just miserable. Just miserable people. I mean, uh, they know Him, but they don't know Him deeply. They don't know Him intimately. I mean, the, the one thing I do like, or a lot of things I like about the generation of days gone by, is some of the songs they sung, the, the way they worship. They, they sang songs, and we sing a few of them around here, more and more about Jesus, what I know. Or we sing, sometimes we sing, I want to know more about my Jesus. And, and we learn that from our grandparents and our parents, and that we want to know Jesus in a deeper way. But beloved, this cultural Christianity of the 21st century says, we know all we want to know about Jesus. Tell us what the church has to offer. Come on, man. I mean, beloved, what does the church have to offer? Well, why don't you consider his titles? The Bible says in Colossians, of him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. John said, and all the fullness of Christ have we received in grace for grace. If you'll consider Jesus, consider his titles, he is all you need to be happy, to be satisfied today. Consider his titles. I've got to hurry along. Number two, 
We consider the trustworthiness of Christ. What believers ought to consider? Consider that Jesus is trustworthy. Listen to verse 2. It says that Christ was faithful to him that appointed him. That's his father. As also Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus was faithful to do exactly what his father sent him to do. He came here to reconcile us back to God. On the cross, he cried, it is finished. He accomplished what the Father entrusted him to do. Beloved, he came down here and he got the job done. Because he is faithful, he's trustworthy. That means you can depend on him. That means if he says he's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. He's going to do it. There's not a need in your life he hadn't already made provision for. If you'll think on that alone, meditate on that alone, that simple truth will transform your life. If you really trusted God, it cut the worry out of your life. Zantac would go out of business. Somebody say amen. Consider his trustworthiness. If we trusted him, we wouldn't run from here to there looking for help. We'd go straight to him. I want you to know if the Father counted Jesus trustworthy to get the job done. If the Father could trust him, that's good enough for me. You can trust him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me. You know what Jesus was saying? Consider me. Learn of me. Learn what I can be in and through and for your life. And when you learn of him and learn how trustworthy he is, that will satisfy your soul. One preacher said one time, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Consider the trustworthiness of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 2. It says that Jesus was Faithful as also Moses was faithful in all his house. There's no question. Moses was faithful. He did exactly what God called him to do. There's one today whose faithfulness exceeds that of Moses. His task was greater and came at a higher cost, and he was found faithful. And you can trust him today. You can trust Jesus. And that's something that every Christian needs to consider. You say, oh, I've trusted him. Oh, you're, some of y'all trusted him for eternity, but you can't trust him to pay that. Y'all all right? Trust him. He's trustworthy. Now look at verse 3 and 4. Not only do we consider the titles and the trustworthiness of Christ, but we consider the very thought of Christ. Consider or think of what comes to your mind when you think of Christ, look in verse 3. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. The Jews respected Moses, but Moses didn't build the house. Moses was in the house. But Moses didn't build the house. And now there is one, one who was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And this one counted worthy of more glory than Moses. His name is Jesus. And he's counted worthy of more glory because he built 
the house. Now, what house is he talking about here? The word house here refers to the, to the body of believers. The believers. Moses didn't build the house of believers. Moses didn't. Moses was a builder. Moses, in fact, was a great builder. Do you remember what Moses built? Moses built the, what class? Tabernacle. And oh, I'd love to see the tabernacle. You talk about a spectacle to see. What an what a impressive building that was. You got on the inside, David, there was gold everywhere. A little fence post around the outside covered in silver. A white linen cloth all the way around it. You got on the inside beautiful woven tapestries of the finest material and everything gleaming of gold and a fire burning and incense on the inside. And I'm telling you, it was beautiful, beautiful beyond what words could describe. As I thought about the tabernacle this week, I thought I ain't much of a builder, but you give me a wagon full of gold, I could probably build something that looked decent. I mean, you don't have to be a real good builder when you're using gold. I mean, I, beloved, I could build a birdhouse and it looked good if I made it out of gold. Then I think about what Jesus Christ built. Oh, beloved, Jesus built himself a house. And he didn't have near the material that old Moses had to work with. No, Jesus didn't have any gold to build with. Jesus took a bunch of sinners unworthy to live and not fit to kill. A bunch of wretches on our way to a devil's hell. Jesus took that and out of that he fashioned himself one glorious church headed for glory. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. The Catholics got it wrong. He didn't build the church on Peter. Peter is Petros pebble. He said, upon myself, I'll build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus built the church. On himself, he didn't have desirable materials. He had a motley crew, a bunch of spiritual hellbound misfits, not fashioned for glory. And he took us and he has conformed us. And one of these days he will glorify us. And when we get to heaven, we'll look like we ought to be there. What a builder. What a builder. That guy's more uh, worthy of glory. Jesus Christ. More worthy of glory than Moses. He says in verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. He, he's saying there, he says, I understand that there's some human involvement in this divine building project. Moses had his part in it. Just like Paul had his part in it. Just like if you'll go win somebody to Jesus this week, you'll have a part in it. But understand, uh, me, you, Moses, Paul, we're not the one fashioning lives and taking nothing and turning it into something. Only God can do that. He's the one that fits us for glory, and He alone is worthy of glory. I, I, I love that in the worship service when we get to understanding that He alone is worthy of glory. 
I, I like it when glory gets loose in a service, when people can get caught up in who He is and consider in the worship service, maybe they're singing about heaven and they start thinking, oh God, uh, I, I don't understand why you'd see me fit for heaven, why you'd come down here. I know who I am and I, I don't understand why you love me enough to suffer and die for me and then you want to live inside of me and change me into a glorified person one day and take me to heaven and you get caught up in the glory and you worship God. I love it when that happens. But beloved, if it takes something else to get you worked up, if it gets, takes something else to bring that glory out in your worship, uh, some folks say, oh, I can't worship if the singing's not right. Or, well, I can worship better when we had our other preacher or if we get a different preacher. you got to have a preacher that talks like this or at this volume. Or some people think the preacher's got to be wearing a tie. Or, or some people think, well, i got to have a, I gotta have a church that's got an orchestra versus a guy that plays a guitar. Now, listen, if you're playing a guitar at church just to be cool, you ain't about worship anyway. But if all you got is a guitar and you want to praise God with it, bless your heart, go ahead and praise away. If it takes a guitar and five people sitting on the stool or blessing robe choir and an orchestra to make you worship God, you hadn't considered Jesus. You ought to be able to come here and worship Him because He and He alone is worthy of glory. What are you going to do if Jesus is the main attraction today? I'm taking the churches on the mission field today where they don't have padded pews and, and, and multimedia screens and pulpits and sound systems and their preacher's not wearing a, a, a suit and, and, and shiny shoes today. They're worshiping God at a far higher cost than some of us are today. We consider the thought of Christ. He's worthy of glory. He's not just a get-out-of-hell card. He's worthy of glory. But then number four, and lastly, we ought to consider the testimony of Christ. In verse 5 and verse 6, the writer here is going to give credit where credit's due. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's going to build Moses up as he should. Moses was no doubt a servant of God. And he's a faithful servant. Verse 5, he was faithful in all his house. Moses was a faithful servant. Faithful in all his house as a servant. But watch this. Moses was just a servant. He's just a servant. Now, that's not a degrading title, but we need to understand that is Moses' title. He's the servant. It's not degrading to call somebody a servant because you're a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. I count it an honor, not a, not a put-down, not a degrade to be a servant of God. But you and I, we're not the main attraction here today. You heard about the donkey on Palm Sunday that went back to the barn and told his buddy donkeys, he said, y'all ought to, you're not going to believe what happened when I just marched down in Jerusalem. People laid palm branches and shouted, and they lined the streets for me. And one old wise donkey said, you crazy donkey, they wasn't clapping for you. You were just carrying the good news. You're not the main attraction. I'm not the main attraction. We're just servants today. But verse 5 says, Moses faithfully gave a testimony of those things, verse 5, those things which were to be spoken after. What things did Moses testify of that was to be spoken after? Uh, the gospel. Uh, Moses testified of Jesus. 
Not one time did Moses build up Moses. Not one time did Moses say, look at me. Moses pointed people to Jesus. If you don't believe that, think about what he did. When he lifted that pole up in the wilderness, that brazen serpent, what was that pointing people to? You don't need any explanation for that. Jesus explained it in John 3. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Moses was pointing people to the cross. When he built that tabernacle we talked about, man, that whole thing, if I had an hour, I'd spend an hour just telling you about that thing. The whole thing pointed to the cross. You walk right into the courtyard, there sits a brazen altar with a sacrifice in the midst of the flame. That speaks of Jesus suffering the fiery torment of God's wrath for your sin on the cross. You go a little further, there's a labor there made of uh, a, a, a bronze labor. And you look into that labor and you see the water. That's the cleansing that comes after you go to the cross. Then Jesus cleanses your life. And then you walk into that holy place and then there's a golden candlestick reminding us that Jesus is the light of the world. Over here is the table of showbread reminding us that He is the bread of life. Over there is the altar of incense with the sweet-smelling savors going up reminding us that He's the one that enables our prayer life. You get back behind the veil, which, by the way, had to be parted for you to get into God's presence. You get in there, there's a mercy seat with blood on it, letting you know the only way you get into God's presence is through the veil by the blood. The whole thing is about Jesus. You think Moses was saying, look at me? No, Moses was testifying and saying, look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. Oh, listen. Moses was faithful in what he testified of. And he was faithful to point people to Jesus. I want to be faithful to point people to Jesus. But look at verse 6. This last verse, this is the distinction between Moses and Jesus. The old covenant and the new. Moses was faithful, but verse 6 tells us that Christ was faithful. He was faithful as a son over his own house. Now, this is the climax of the discussion. Moses is the servant. Praise God for him that Jesus is the son. Hallelujah. He's the son. Uh, what's the difference? Well, I'll tell you. Servants come and go. The son is a son forever. He's the son forever. Uh, when I got saved, I didn't call on the name of Moses that day. I didn't call on Moses to save me. I called on one who's greater than Moses. I called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that brought me into this house that he is building. He is not a servant in the house. He is the son over the house. That's what Scripture testifies of Jesus. What is the house? In the next part of verse 6, whose house are we? You're the house. You're, the believer is the house that he's building. He's building your life. He's conforming your life to make it more like himself. We think, oh, I thought this, this building right here was the, the, the Lord's house. No, no, you're the Lord's house. You're the Lord's house. The house, his house is not a building. Believers are his house, and Jesus is the son over that house. That's the testimony of Scripture concerning Christ. And now in the last part of the verse, the writer of Hebrews shows you how you can be sure that you're in that house. How you can know. How do you know if you're really a part of the Lord's house? He says, if we hold fast, end of verse 6, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. 
Let me tell you what that means and what it doesn't mean, and we'll let Scripture interpret Scripture. That verse is not saying that we're saved if we hang on to the end. The Bible doesn't teach that. You say, it sounds like that, preacher. A lot of people use that verse. But listen, if you're going to use that to teach that you can lose your salvation, then there's a lot of verses you've got to tear out. Titus 3 and 5 has got to go. Titus 3 and 5 says, It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He hath saved us. Our continuance in the faith, our staying with the Lord, is not the merit of our eternal life. It's the proof of our eternal life. It's not the merit of it. It's the proof of it. You can tell if you're really a part of the house God's building if you stay there. What about the one that walks away? Well, the Bible answers that question. It's not what I think or what you think. What's the Bible say about the one that walks away? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, just letting Scripture interpret Scripture. John said they went out, they went out from us, but they were not of us. John said, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Apparently there have been some Jews, Gentiles, walked away from the faith. And John says, oh, don't worry that Christ lost them. They didn't come to Christ. But, oh, preacher, I know somebody that says they're saved and... They hadn't been back to church in 10 years since they said they got saved. They went out of here and they hadn't been back. They had to lose it. No, ladies and gentlemen, they never got it. You say, but they say they had it. Listen, I'd say i got big bicep muscles. It doesn't mean i got them. You can say anything. There's a lot of people saying that they're following Christ. Profession and possession are two different things. How do you know if you really got Him? Now, one of the tests is you stay with Him because He holds on to you. Listen to what Jesus said. Would you just take Jesus' word for it? John 8, 31, put this in your margin. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. And then listen to what He said in John six thirty nine. This is the Father's will which hath sent Me that all of which He hath given me, I should lose nothing. What did the Father give Him? Us. Us. And He said He's not going to lose those. Jesus is not losing those that are in the house. Jesus has never lost anyone and He will never lose anyone. Not those that are of His household. So what's this last verse about then? Two very important things. He's saying this to these Jews because some of them are walking away. Number one, he's saying you need to be sure that you're in the house. Be sure that you're saved. Be sure that you're saved. The New Testament bears that out in other places. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, he says. You need to make sure you're saved. Just because you say you're saved doesn't make you saved. Jesus said in Matthew 7, a lot of people on the day of judgment will say, Lord, 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 we did this, 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 and this. And he'll say he never knew them. Not that he knew them and 
lost them, he said he'll say he never, ever knew them. Ever. Saying it and really being it are two different things. And you need to make sure that you're not just saying you're a Christian, but that you really are a Christian. Nothing's more important today than being absolutely sure that you're saved. And then number two, once you're saved, you need to keep your eyes focused on Him. Consider the testimony of Christ, all that is said about Him from cover to cover. Understand that Jesus Christ is all you need. Find your satisfaction in Him and Him alone. Listen, I wonder if all that we did this Sunday, I love the music, I love the children's programs, I love the, the, the core of the building, but I wonder, Brother Bruce, if next week we took out all of the seats and put some old hardback pews without the padding on it. If we took down all the media stuff, got rid of this pretty pulpit and the microphone, and your preacher just showed up here and, and, and with, a, with a Bible and a word from God, and we didn't have any singing with big music and didn't have all that stuff, I just showed up and preached for an hour. You say, well, bless God, they wouldn't come back, preacher. And that is the problem. If getting a word from God is not enough for us, it's not that we can't have the other stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, of Jesus and Jesus alone and getting a word from Him. Y'all all right today? Smile at me. It's kind of tough, but listen, this is where we're at today. We got, we're living in the Neapolitan church culture. If you don't like it here, then go on over a little further down the road and you'll find your flavor. And, and God have mercy on, on the pastors of our generation. And a lot of them, there are a lot of guys that are still being faithful, but there's some guys that are just absolutely henpecked by the culture, and they've decided if they can't get them in this way, then they're going to try this to get them in, and they're going to try this to get them in, and they're going to try this to get them in. You know, we didn't plan anything clever other than singing about Jesus and preaching about Him, and y'all came today. Jesus ought to be enough to satisfy us. If it takes Jesus... Plus this, Jesus plus that. You know what that's called? Legalism. That's what that is. That's Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia. 30132 or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.